It's never too early to start talking about Christmas. We've been having some really exciting meetings around Lutheran Church, I hope, about what Christmas is going to look like for us this year. And so maybe that's got me in the Christmas spirit. But a Christmas story, a movie made not as long ago as we think, just in the 80s, tells Ralphie's, Ralphie Parker's story about his Christmas adventures in Indiana set in the 1940s. And Ralphie wants something for Christmas. He wants more than anything in the world. He wants a Red Ryder BB gun. So he starts asking. He goes to those he considers in positions of authority to ask for a Red Ryder BB gun. He asks persistently. He asks repeatedly, boldly, creatively, annoyingly. And that's what actually came to mind as I was thinking about what we should talk about related to the Lord's Prayer that we just read in Scripture, how Jesus teaches us about prayer. So it's going to be on your screen. We already read this in its entirety, and we don't need to read it all over again from Luke chapter 11. I'm pretty sure it'll be on the screen. It'll be there eventually. Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching about prayer, and in it, he's telling this story. He teaches people how to pray, but then he tells this story. Imagine you were at home at midnight, and a friend of yours, a neighbor, knocks on your bedroom window and says, hey, a buddy of mine showed up, and we don't have any food. Give me something to eat. Like any rational person, you would say, don't bother me. The door is locked. My family and I are all in bed, and I can't help you. But Jesus says that our prayers are to be shamelessly persistent until we get the things that we are asking for. This word, shameless persistence, that we translate into English, it only occurs this one time in the original Greek language, Anadiah. That's it. And that's how Jesus describes prayer. It's almost like greedy persistence is how it's translated. That that's how we're supposed to ask for things from God. And I think we, we, we've super spiritualized this enterprise called prayer. We, we talk about different methods to pray and modes and ways and things to pray for and how we ought to do it. And I think we've, we've done that to the degree that we've lost sight of the core of how Jesus teaches about prayer is simply asking God for things. That we're just supposed to ask God for certain things. Now certainly those other ways are important. They're important for us to learn how to do. But to get back to this core idea that we are supposed to ask God for the things that we need, shamelessly. This even comes, this teaching comes in the context of a well-asked question. The disciples finally asked a good question. Usually when, when Jesus' followers would ask him questions, he would have to teach only in parables. He could only tell stories, or he would ask them questions in return to get a dialogue going. He would perform a miracle to give a demonstration for how he could explain their question because typically the questions Jesus asked, and these might sound familiar, have you ever asked God these types of questions, why God is this happening? Or when will this happen, Jesus? Or what for Jesus? And those types of questions he could only answer with parables or other questions. But in this instance, the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. It's not even a question. It's, it's, it's almost a, a bold demand. If you remember back to the scripture reading, it says, John the Baptist's disciples taught them how to pray. He taught them how to pray. Billy down the street got a BB gun. I want one too. That's, that's how they're asking Jesus. And he doesn't bristle at that. It doesn't phase him. He doesn't say, no, how dare you speak to me that way? He answers their question. I think that tells us that the reality of following Jesus, of being a Christian, of following who he is and, 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 and being a Christian and being a part of our community is not that you have to have everything figured out. If you think that being a Christian means having all the answers, this, tells, this says you're wrong. Following Jesus means asking good questions, learning, continuously growing, 
And asking in the right way, asking boldly, asking persistently. So they ask Jesus this question. And in a rare occasion, Jesus actually gives a straight answer. He says, here's how you pray. So if this is the moment when Jesus answers just a cold, straight answer to a question, that's occasion for us to pay attention. Typically, I don't get into the habit of putting titles on my sermons. I just don't think that uh, anything I have to say particularly merits a title or that you care what I'd call the talk that I'm going to give. But if I had to put a title on today's sermon, it would be this. Are you sure? Turn to your neighbor and say, are you sure? Are you sure you want to ask God for these things in the Lord's Prayer? We're, we're in this sermon series called Here We Stand, a confirmation refresher where we're revisiting those, those, those foundational principles and ideas and practices of what, what it means to follow Jesus. And over the course of these weeks that we've been talking about things like the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed and today the Lord's Prayer, what I've noticed is that these things, this prayer in particular, feels a little bit like the furniture in the church. You know, it's there. It serves a purpose. It matches the decor. It's well-worn. It's comfortable. But as long as it doesn't break or get in our way, then we can just ignore it. It's serving its purpose. I bet that if this is the first time you've ever set foot in a church, you know something about our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's just something that rolls off of our tongues without even thinking about it. But what I want to ask today is, are you sure? Frederick Buechner, who's one of my favorite living Christian authors, says this about the Lord's Prayer. We do well not to pray the prayer lightly. It takes guts to pray it at all. Now, hang on. I've never thought of this as a particularly gutsy prayer, as though it required courage but are you sure? That's what we're going to ask. Now, we're not going to be able to cover every petition in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus tells us to ask for so several different things. We're going to cover some of them today. My encouragement for you would be to go home this afternoon and with your family. Look at Luke chapter 11. Look, look at Matthew chapter 6. Revisit these things that we so frequently just ask God for without really even paying attention and ask yourself that question. What would happen to me if God said yes to that prayer? How would my life look different? Because that's why Jesus teaches us to pray for these things. He's saying, if you want to get a yes from God every time, pray for this stuff. Because God will answer these prayers. So what are these things? What does Jesus teach us to pray? He starts off, our Father. And we can stop right there for now. Two words in, it's going to be a long day. <laughs> no. Our Father. You'll notice here and the rest of the prayer, there, there is not a single first-person singular pronoun. There is no I, there's no me, there's no my. It's all plural. Our, us, we. Jesus is teaching us that in prayer, we're not taught to pray as individuals. We're taught to pray as the church. It's our Father, not mine and not yours, ours. And that can push a little bit because for, for my whole life, I was taught you know, you need to have a strong personal relationship with Jesus. But that's what it's about. Commit your life to Christ and have a strong personal relationship. And I'm not saying that that isn't important. You need to have a strong personal relationship with Jesus. There are plenty of examples where Jesus goes off by himself to pray. But like Pastor Scott talked about last week, if you were here, if you want to listen back in podcasts, the thesis of what Jesus teaches over and over and over again is that it's more important that we're connected, that we're in relationship with each other. It's more important that we're connected than we're correct or right, or I would say even individually strong in our faith. You might be really strong in your faith. You've got your prayer life all squared away. You know exactly where you're going in life. 
But does the person sitting next to you in this room, where are they? We're called to pray, Our Father. And this is taught elsewhere in the New Testament. Uh, Paul writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's using the human body as a metaphor for the church. And he says, how strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. And let's read these lines together because I think it's important for us as a church to read this together. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. We need each other. To be the church, we need each other. There's no such thing as an individual Christian. If I were to ask you whether you've followed Jesus a long time or if this is the first time you've ever set foot in a church, what would be on your list of things that a Christian does? You know, what are those important things about following Jesus? What would you say? Prayer, we're talking about prayer, so that would make the list. Reading your Bible, sure. Maybe giving some money, that comes up a lot. Doing nice things for people, that might make your list. What about going to church? Does that make your list of things not just that you could do as a Christian or that would be a good idea or every once in a while? I'm talking about being a committed, regular member of the body of Christ that applies their gifts to everybody's faith. Does that make your list of the things? If you were to go back in time 500 years, we're coming up on the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, when Martin Luther and John Calvin and uh, William Tyndale and all these great reformers of the whole church, if you were to talk to them about their list, what makes their list about the things that you have to do to be considered a follower of Jesus? And you were to say to them in the course of that conversation, like I've heard so many times, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church very often. They'd look, like, they'd look at you like you were nuts. That would be a nonsense statement to them. It wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. The way that they talked about your faith was that it was embedded with your participation in the local church. Not only that, but your salvation was tied to your community, was how deeply they wrote about what it meant to be a follower of Christ involved in the life of the church. Are you sure you want to be that? Are you sure you want to pray that way? Are you sure you don't want it to be my father and not just and not our father? To be, to be connected that way. This is a struggle for me. I'm particularly selfish with my time. My wife is here. You can ask her. I like my time. There have been plenty of times in my life where I thought, man, it'd be great if it was just me and Jesus and no one else. That's all I need. But that's not what it means to follow God. That's not what it means to give your life to him. That's not what it means to pray our father, that we're together, we're connected in this. And he, pre he tells us to pray our father. Frederick Buechner, who I quoted earlier in the same essay, he said, the only thing that makes this prayer bearable at all is that we can pray to God as our Father. If we had to pray this prayer starting every time with, O oh, great and powerful God of the universe who created all things, who is transcendent, eternal, and infinite, the rest of the prayer, the things that we would ask for would just be too much. The fact that we get to pray to God as our Father makes this something that we, I think, can stand to pray regularly. The parable that Jesus told earlier about the man knocking on the door and uh, saying, go away. A lot of times we want to treat parables, Jesus' little teachings, as layer upon layer of interpretation, as though they mean lots of stuff. Well, a parable is a tiny story that Jesus uses typically to mean one thing. That parable is about prayer. This is about God. This is how Jesus teaches about the Father. You parents, if you children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? 
So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Let's watch this clip. Dad comes through, doesn't he? The one person he'd never thought to ask, his dad got it for him. I love the way that, that Darren McGavin, that actor, portrays Ralphie's father. Uh, Darren McGavin in his own life had four kids of his own, so I think he knew going into that scene when they were going to film it, I know exactly what it's like to watch my child elated and thankful and surprised and grateful for the things that I've given them. And if that's not the face that you think of when you think of your heavenly father, that needs to change. God is not put off by your requests. God is not annoyed. God is not some mall Santa waiting for his shift to end. He is your heavenly father who smiles at you. The answers might be no. That doesn't mean that he's annoyed. I think he's happy that we come to him at all, smiling at you. And that's really good news for people who, who may not have had the best example of a father here on earth or a mother. But that's what God looks like when you come to him. The, uh, the, Greek, the, the Aramaic word that Jesus teaches us to pray, Abba, is, is sometimes translated daddy, and that's a little bit too, too cute for me. I like how uh, Darren McGavin's character is credited in this film. See, it's told through the eyes of a child, so you never learn the parents' names. We don't know what their first names are, because what kid would care? He's credited with being old man Parker, my old man, our old man. That level of familiarity is how Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father in heaven. However, the prayer continues. It's not just our Father and then fill in the, the blanks with whatever you think you need or want. That's where our little illustration falls apart a little bit. It's been famously said that this prayer is not about getting what you want. It's about bending our wants to the desires of God, which is why it continues by saying, Thy will be done, that we would pray, Thy will be done. And what does that mean? And are you sure? You want God's will to be done and not your will to be done. Uh, there's been a lot of, of smart people who have written a lot of things about what the will of God is, uh, how that interacts with our will, and are we determined to do things and predestined and all that stuff. I thought we would do a little demonstration, a science experiment. I, uh, I loved science when I was Ralphie's age because at that age, they hadn't yet told you that it requires a basic understanding of how to do math to really do science. To me at that age, it just seemed like magic. So I, I really like this kind of science experiment. So I have here uh, a magnet, which was actually provided to me by one of the members of our production team who is a scientist uh, up at Iowa State. So thanks to Trevor Riedemann for hooking me up here. A magnet and a landscaping spike, a nail, and we have a paper clip. Now we all know that the paper clip will be attracted to the magnet, which even that is pretty amazing if you think about it, that there's this metal that attracts this other metal. But what the nail can't do is that. It doesn't attract this paper clip. It doesn't have the same properties. But suppose it wanted to. Suppose this nail found in this magnet a quality that it wanted. It wanted this will to be done over its life. So it decided to get into a relationship with this magnet to see if it might change. Now, I don't want to set your expectations too high. I'm doing something that they tell you never to do when you're preparing a talk, which is to put your talk in the hands of something you're not 100% sure is actually going to work out. So uh, we'll see how this goes. But if this nail wanted the magnet's will done in, in its existence, if it wanted to be like it in some way, it'd be in a relationship, be pushed, be pulled, be affected by it. It might be a little bit abrasive, uncomfortable. This doesn't sound even that nice. I could put it closer to my microphone if that would make it a little bit more uncomfortable for you to listen to. 
But over the course of time, I wonder if some of the qualities of this magnet might be transferred over to this nail. It's never going to stop being a nail. It's never going to stop being itself. But it could be changed a little bit. So let's see if this worked. There we go. Bill Nye. Right there. So that's just a very simplistic picture. Um, what, again, smarter people than me will say about that is when you, when you take a magnet and take one pole end and push it in one direction along a nail, you're actually changing that nail's molecular structure to the degree that it picks up magnetic properties. The interesting thing is that'll wear off. I've done that with the same nail every service. The, the magnetism fades the less time the nail is in the presence of the magnet, being pushed and pulled by it. Are you sure you want God to do that to you? Are you sure you want him to realign your priorities, your desires, the things that are important to you, your values, the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money? Are you sure that you want God to align you that much to pray that his will would be done and not just your will? Jesus prayed this prayer. He prayed it a lot. And in one instance that Jen already sang for us, on the night when he was about to be arrested and betrayed, when he knew that he was going to be beaten, when he was going to be whipped, insulted, paraded through town like a criminal, eventually nailed to a cross through his hands and feet and left on a desert mountaintop to bleed and suffocate, suffocate to death, the night before all that was about to happen, Jesus prayed this. He prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Dad, if there's anything else that can be done to atone for all of the sins of mankind, can that be the case? Jesus went to the cross fully a man. Don't have any, any notions that Jesus wasn't scared, that he wasn't terrified about what was going to happen. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel appeared from heaven and strengthened him. Now, it's important that that line is in there because if you pray, really, and you mean it, you're sure, I want God's will done in my life, you can still pray, God, this is hard, your will, all of a sudden. It's different than I've lived before, and I'm not sure if I can continue. Would you please give me strength? Yes, God will strengthen you for that journey. God will give you peace. God will give you comfort. But it doesn't mean that it won't be difficult. He prayed more fervently, and as he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood. Are you sure you want God's will to that degree? What is that for you? What does that look like? What's that thing that, that terrifies you that God might be asking you to do, that keeps you up at night? And do you have the guts to do it? Do you have the guts to say, thy will be done? Do you have the guts to leave everything and go into a foreign mission field if that's what he's calling you to do? Do you have the guts to sacrifice your comfort so the needs of others in our community can be met? You have the guts to do business differently in a way that reflects God's values and not just the bottom line. Do you have the guts to raise amazing children in this country who know that in God's economy, success is not how much you have, it's how much you give away? And are you sure? What would it look like for your life to be under the full and total authority of Jesus, our King? Because that's what it means to pray, thy kingdom come. Kingdom is an interesting idea for us because we don't have kingdoms anymore. Well, we, we have some, but they don't even look the way that they looked in Jesus' day. This word that Jesus uses to describe his kingdom, the Greek word basileia, he uses it more than almost anything else in all of his teaching. He talks about his kingdom more than salvation, more than love, more than heaven and hell. The only thing he talks about his kingdom more is God. 
So I think we should pay attention to what he means before we start asking for it and see if we're sure. The word basileia, the kingdom, the idea there was that you would, you would know how big your kingdom was, not by some latitude and longitude because they didn't have that. How far away from the castle or the capital city you had to go before people stopped paying attention to you anymore? That was how they knew how big their kingdom was. What was the extent of their influence? You know, so let's say that, uh, can you tell me your name? Ava. So let's say Ava is the king of, of Ankeny. Congratulations. <laughs> Queen of Ankeny, this wonderful place of ours. Because we've asked everyone in town, hey, do you know Ava? She's our king. Yep, we know. We, we respect that authority. What if we go a little bit farther? We're going to try to test to see how far your kingdom reaches. And so we go to Altoona and we ask them, hey, do you know Ava is your king? Yeah, we, we know that. We've heard of her. Oh, wow. So that goes that far. Let's try to see if we can get out to Grinnell. We go out there. Do you know Ava is your king? Nope, never heard of her. Well, that's how far it goes. But that's how you know. How far did you have to get before people stopped paying attention to your authority, respecting who you were and knowing that you were in control? So when we pray for Jesus' kingdom to come to earth, we're asking, God, would your authority be known and felt the world over the way that it is in heaven? Would every knee bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and King? And I bet all of us would raise our hands and say, now that I'm sure of. All these things that we're questioning and, and seeing if we're sure, I'm sure I want Jesus' authority known the world over. But let's take a look at some of the people who Jesus says belong in his kingdom and ask ourselves if we're sure that's, we're asking thy kingdom come and not my kingdom come. Jesus says in Matthew 5.3, the poor in spirit inherit the kingdom. The persecuted in Matthew 5.10, the least among us, Matthew 11.11. 11. The last shall be first in the kingdom. People with faith like a child, he says elsewhere, inherit the kingdom of God. Does that sound like your idyllic picture of heaven or what God's kingdom really looks like? More and more I'm convinced that God has given us the years that we have to spend here on earth, however many they are, so that we can spend time getting used to, being in relationship with, acknowledging, respecting, honoring, and taking care of the people who are going to fill heaven, who don't look like us, who don't think like us, who we might disregard on a daily basis and walk past and never think twice about, because that's who's going to fill God's kingdom. Are you sure that that's the picture you have in your head of what it means to pray, thy kingdom come? Jesus teaches about this. Again, he tells a parable, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. You and I who follow Jesus were the servants. And Jesus is saying, it's not your call who gets in. Your call is who gets invited. Go out and invite everybody you see, good and bad alike. We're not to judge. To pray thy kingdom comes means that we're surrendering our lives to Jesus' authority and his judgment over who people are and what they do. And in and out, that's not for us to decide. That's God's call. So are you sure you want to pray that? The people that we would dismiss, the people who are hurting, the people who are broken, the people who are hungry. That's why we pray our daily bread. Our daily bread. Again, not my daily bread. Our. That changes things. That it's ours and not mine. We're, we're all fine praying my daily bread. I, I, take care of me, Jesus. Take care of my house and my family and 
my business and my possessions and my stuff take care of me. Our daily bread changes things. In 2010, I, I had the great privilege of being able to go to Thailand with my, my wife and, and a couple of people from my church in Chicago. And we spent most of our time up in the northern part of the country in a village near uh, the, the border of Burma. And there's nothing up there, really. The, the nearest town to the village where we were staying was about an hour's drive away. But this was a secluded village. None of them had a car. They didn't have any money anyway if they wanted to buy something. What they ate is what they grew. And they grew a lot of rice. And so we were there during the rice harvest, and we got a chance to, to, to see how they did this. The, the two women you see there, they're husking rice. Now, uh, it turns out rice doesn't come white and clean and in a bag on a shelf. Uh, it's a grain, so it's got a husk and a kernel, and they, have to, they beat it with these mallets to get the husk off, and then they have to sift it in a basket to get all the, uh, the debris away before they're left with rice that they can eat. We were their guests, and so they invited us and said, you want to try? And I said, sure, how hard can this be? You're just eating a hammer. So I take one of the mallets, and a friend of mine took the other one, and the first strike, we hit that thing, and it went everywhere. There's technique involved in doing this. It just spilled everywhere. I'll never forget the sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach as I watched all of them stop everything, get down on their hands and knees, and we joined them too to make sure that we picked up every last grain of rice out of the dirt so that it could be washed and eaten because that's what they had to eat. They pray for our daily bread a lot different than you and I pray for our daily bread. And I, I believe that this challenges us as a prayer if we're sure we want to pray our and not my that we have a responsibility as a church that those of us who have more than our share of daily bread need to recognize that there are 795 million people in this world who the World Health Organization classifies as undernourished and starving. One in nine of the global population do not have daily bread. Now, I feel particularly blessed that, that this church, our church, Lutheran Church of Hope, and our Ankeny campus actually takes that seriously. That we, we try to be a part of a solution to that. Did you know that our cupboard food pantry, which is just right downstairs, is open every Tuesday, giving food to the people in our community who don't have enough to eat? And that each of the last two years, and we're going to hit this number again, that we've served over 10,500 individuals food that need their daily bread. Now, it's nothing to be proud of that there are that many hungry people in our community, but there, they, there are. There are that many and more. We have great volunteers who are committed to that ministry, but we need help if you want to help, help people get their daily bread. Brent mentioned during announcements, we, we, we serve meals almost continuously here now, it seems, and it's amazing. I think I did the math. In a, in a given year, it looks like we serve about 18,000 individual dinners, and we need help doing that. We actually have a ministry called Our Daily Bread, where folks from our congregation go to grocery stores around town and pick up bread that they're just going to throw away so that we can drive it to a food pantry or our food pantry. We need help with that. Are you sure you want to pray our daily bread and, and take some of that responsibility for what it means for us to be connected and taking care of each other? And maybe that ministry for you isn't where it fits. That's okay because Jesus has an interesting way, a great way of reframing our understanding of nourishment, what it means to be cared for. Jesus in John chapter 6 is teaching on the Old Testament idea, the, the, the miracle that God performed of providing manna in the wilderness for the people wandering in the desert. God provided manna every day, bread from heaven every day for those people wandering in the desert. And they had enough for one day. They said, God said, you collect enough for one day 
And if you try to collect any more, it's just going to rot. Teaching them to rely on God daily for their provision. Jesus is teaching on that and he says, but this is how things are going to be now that I'm here. Let's read this together about what Jesus says he is. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's vitally important for us to be aware of and sensitive to and caring for the people who, who need physical nourishment. But I think even more than that, it's our responsibility to know that there are people who are spiritually starving, who don't know the great grace, the power of Jesus' love, that they can have a forever relationship with him and be nourished and fed forever inside. We're about to sing a song as we close that has some great lines in it that talk about how there is grace enough in Christ for the whole wide world, rich and poor alike, saint and sinner, that God is offering grace to each and every one of you that will nourish you forever and that you can take that to the people you know in this world who are starving. So if you're sure, if you're sure, let's go ahead and stand together as we close our time. And we'll pray together the prayer that Jesus taught it. The words will be on your screen. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.